Hello and welcome to the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the traffic reporter, or the traffic anchor and transportation reporter, however you want to call it, uh, for Denver 7 News. Jason Luber, if you want to be a part of the program, you can always give me a shout on the listener hotline, 303-832-0217. It's an age-old question, right? When is the right time to buy a car? It, It seems that over the past few years, it really hasn't been a good time to get a new car, or especially a used car, as they've been very, very expensive. But have we reached the top of the market? Well, who knows better than Kelly Blue Book, the standard when it comes to knowing what a car is really worth. So joining me now to talk about not only this, but also some other car-related issues, including some electric car stuff, is Brian Moody, executive editor for Kelly Blue Book. Brian, thanks so much for joining me here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Yep, thanks for having me. Uh, Before we get going on all this uh, cool car stuff there, Brian, uh, have you always been a car guy? Is there there a favorite car that you have? I have always been because my dad was. I grew up in Los Angeles, and he was into, like, drag racing and hot rods when he was a kid. And then when he had me, I was his first kid. He kind of just took me along to some of those places. So as a result, I got to go to some of the the, you know, like premier racing venues in Southern California. I didn't know it at the time. All I knew was that they had uh, wax cups with crushed ice. And I love that. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, so my dad kind of started that in me and he had interesting cars. Uh, my favorite car that I've had, believe it or not, is a 1964 Buick Skylark that I just, I just thought that was a great car. Today, I have a Saab convertible that I really love. Uh, but I also had a Studebaker that I love the simplicity of. So if I could wave a magic wand and spend any amount of money, I'd probably get some, you know, 60s BMW convertible or something like that. Interesting. I was always thinking about like a 1977 Volkswagen thing. Bright yellow convertible. Those are cool. (laughs) You know, know, those are cool. Driving up the Pacific Coast Highway in one of those would just be, uh, you know, (laughs) iconic, right? Uh, Yes. You've been an automotive journalist for a long time, more than, what, 15 years. So you know the layout. You know the market. You know what what cars are like. Is is this the right time to buy a car, a new one, or a used one? Well, if you're looking at price, prices are trending down, and that's a good sign for consumers. So after about 20 months of prices going up and hitting record highs for the average transaction price of a new car, we're now coming down to the point where the average transaction price of a new car is just below MSRP when you take them all into consideration. So a year ago, um, that was about $600 above MSRP. Today, you can find cars for about roughly $400 below MSRP. So that's on average. It's going to vary. Some are above still, mostly luxury cars, and some are below. So it could be a good time, but you have to consider the whole thing, not just the price of the car. What are interest rates like? What's your credit like? And you know the price of the kind of car that you're going to get. Electric cars are expensive. SUVs are expensive. So it depends on the person, but generally speaking, the answer your question is yes. But also electric cars, they have less maintenance typically, so you are going to spend less on that than you will on the oil change every three to 5,000 miles. True. But if you spend an extra $20,000 at a 9% loan, you're you're not going to make that back up in in maintenance or fuel. Uh, So you have to factor those things in. If someone were to give you an electric car for free, then yes, it would probably cost uh, a great deal less over the long haul 
than a gasoline powered car. Right. I, I, you know, I think it's natural to want to time a market, uh, but, but are, are we making ourselves crazy trying to do that? I, I mean, air quotes here, wait for the right mm-hmm. time. Uh, is it, is it really just a, I need a car, so I'm going to go out and buy a car regardless of what is going on in the market? Well, some people are in that boat. Some people have had their car was in an accident. Some people have an, a lease that's ending. Some people have a used car where it has a catastrophic failure and it's not worth fixing. So some people are in that boat. It's important to remember that right now the average age of a used car on the road is about 12 and a half years old. So that's long. Yeah. Cars are lasting longer. But for some people, they're like, listen, I just can't, I can't continue to drive this car that doesn't have a backup camera or side airbags or stability control. Yeah. Well, I'm a good case in point. I I have a 2014 Chevy that has 115,000 miles on it. My wife has a 2013 Toyota that has 130,000 miles on it. So yeah, Yeah. we're in that same boat where we're holding onto our cars longer. Sure. Would we like a new car? Sure. Of course we would. But do we have the finances to do that right now? No, because of, like you said, the interest rates and the cost of these vehicles. Right. So that's, Yeah. yeah, it's a challenge. It's important to consider all of those things. And remember, the greater expense for a car, the more purchase price, the more you're going to take a hit on depreciation. Yeah. That's something to keep in mind also. Well, well, and and even as prices are trending downward for the used car, at one point a couple of years ago, our used cars had a lot more value than they do now. So it, it's really not as good for a buyer because my used car prices are coming down but the new car is still staying up high in price. So it doesn't really help me out. Right. So even though prices are trending down, like you said, they're still coming down from record highs. So what I usually suggest to people is that it can depend on the type of vehicle you're buying, even the brand of vehicle you're buying. So for one thing we know is Kia and Honda, for example, have a lot of price strength right now. Like I think those names mean something to people in the marketplace. And if that costs more, then they're okay paying that. Um, Other brands, uh, maybe not as strong. But if you go looking for the most popular thing, don't expect to get a deal. That's what people always do. Like, hey, how can I get a deal? And I'm like, okay, there are ways you can get a deal. There are less expensive options. Everything doesn't cost $100,000. And the next thing they say is something like, yeah, because I'm looking at a Cadillac Escalade. No, (laughs) you're you're not going to get a deal. Because when, when luxury buyers have proven they're willing to pay more than MSRP, and by the way, full-size SUV buyers will pay more than MSRP. What you need to do if you really want a deal, if, if people are serious about that, go looking for a sedan, go look for a hatchback, something like that. That's going to give you the best option of getting a low price. My guest is Brian Moody, executive editor for Kelly Blue Book. You can find them at kbb.com. So there still are some cheap cars out there. If I'm looking for, I could pick up an old Honda Accord or a Ford Festiva, yeah. probably fairly inexpensive, I would think. Right. And, and they're probably still pretty decent cars, that used cars that are not costing a lot of money right now. Right. And remember, some cars, uh, some sedans have SUV-like features, such as all-wheel drive, yeah. which you know is helpful. Uh, in the mountains, if you live up there, uh, the snow is a thing that you have to deal with. All-wheel drive, heated seats, cargo nets in the trunk. You don't have to get a lifted Jeep just to get around in five inches of snow in the city. You don't need that. I I get that you want that, but if you also want to save money, looking for, say, even if you get something new, uh, an all-wheel drive Corolla would be a great example. Uh, The Sienna is a Toyota that has all-wheel drive. Uh, the Honda Accord is a good car. Those aren't typically commanding 
$20,000 over MSRT, MSRP type prices, but it does vary from place to place. So cross shop for sure. But, but we still have to go for most people. They, they still have to go to a dealership. They don't want to go to a, uh, one of those independent places, maybe down on Broadway. But and, and my brother-in-law was telling me a story about how uh, he hears from car people and car salespeople that they they you'll mention, hey, my the Kelly Blue Book says my car is worth this. Well, the salespeople say uh, Kelly Blue Book is not here with us right now, looking at this vehicle right yeah. here, and so I yeah. say what it's worth, not them. Right. That's fair because a lot of times people will overestimate the value of their car based on the condition. Um, there's also the price that you can get for it as a retail seller. So if you're selling it yourself and you wanted to list your car on an online site like Auto Trader or something like that, you wanted to spend the time and money to get it detailed, make sure everything works properly, and that you want to advertise it and take the pictures and you want to field the emails and the phone calls, you should do that because you're probably going to get a little bit more money. But if you don't want to do any of that and you want to just turn it in and say, listen, I don't want to have to go meet some guy at the mall on a Saturday afternoon, then you trade it in. And but that cost, someone's going to still have to do all that work. It can be you and you can get paid to do the work or you can just trade it in and take the trade in price and they'll do the work and they determine how they're in business of selling cars to make money. Usually an individual person is not. One of my favorite things times when I, you know, back when I was a teen looking at cars was actually to get the auto trader when it was published and you could browse yeah. through the pages, the thin yeah. pages. Remember those? Yeah. It was great. I love that. Uh, yeah, but when we go to a dealer, the salesperson also, I, I, I think maybe they're trained to do this is to ask what kind of a payment do you want? I, I always say zero. I don't want a payment. I, I want to know right. what the total cost of the vehicle is going into right. this because I could have a payment of a thousand dollars put nothing down, or I could put a whole lot of money down and have a payment of $50. It really is, right. how much am I walking out of the showroom uh, paying for this vehicle? Yeah. Well, that's smart. And I'll tell you one thing that people don't often keep in mind is that when you ask for the payment, the truth is I could sell you a Ferrari for $500 a month. Yeah. I could do that. But what's the question you would ask? How many months? Well, yeah. How many months and how much do you want down? Right. So those are all things that are worth keeping in mind. Um, you want to put down as much money as possible when you're going to buy that car. You want to know the purchase price, and then you want to make that payment fit your budget. You want to know, okay, so the payment doesn't work. I need to add $50. I need to add $100. I need to add $1,000 to the down payment, that kind of thing. Um, but keep in mind, it's not just monthly payment. The longer you pay, the more you're paying because interest rate, interest is applied to all of those payments every month. And I guess it depends on the interest rate because you always hear from the different car makers, whether it's Volkswagen, who says they have the lowest interest rate on this car, or if you go out and get right. it yourself, unless you're getting it at a, uh, let's say a credit union, you might pay five or 6% for your car interest rate, which is pretty high when typically they've been in the twos or threes. Right. Today it's between seven and not seven and 11%. Yeah. So it's even higher. That's and that adds all those extra costs on yeah. in your vehicle. Yeah. And remember, here's something I don't think people understand. We're not really in the period of like big zero APR financing right now, but sometimes we are. Sometimes you may see a special. The truth is, those rates are for people who have excellent credit, the best credit. So one thing you should do before you even start this process is know your credit score. If you don't know your credit score, go online and find it for free because that's going to determine what kind of a rate you get. 
showing up and having the guy like that's the idea that yes you're right the person the salesperson at the dealership their job is to sell cars right that's what their job is well their job isn't to make sure that you know your credit score their job isn't to babysit you and make sure you had a good lunch and their job isn't to make sure that you have a family that fits in the car that's all your job make sure your stuff is going to fit if you have to bring it then bring it if you're going to overspend Make sure you don't do that. That's your job to do that. And you should know the interest rate, your credit score. And I would say get pre-approved from your credit union or bank. Oftentimes, the dealer can beat that, but give them a chance to beat it. If they do, then great. If not, then you have something all ready to go. Yeah, I would think that the finance guy at the dealership would probably rather you have lower credit. So you're going to have to pay a higher interest rate and then they will bring in more money. Well, they're going to make money on that no matter what. I think they would prefer that you know what you're doing so they can get your deal wrapped up quick and move on to the next guy. Because they're not going to make all their money off of you. They're going to make their money off of selling that package or that car or that deal to 10 people that day, not just one guy who doesn't know his credit score. My guest is Brian Moody. He's the executive editor for Kelly Blue Book. Again, you can find them online at kbb.com. The link will be in the description uh, of the show. Are, do you think the, the deals right now are better for new cars or used cars as those prices continue to come down? Generally speaking, the deals are better for used cars, but the used cars have a higher interest rate. So it's one of those things where you might be looking at a three-year-old used car and then you add the interest rate to it, which is oftentimes higher than the interest rate of a new car. And it might turn out that you're better off just buying a new car. So it, it really, you have to do your research. Here's one thing we know that when it comes to used cars, the most abundant used cars are the more expensive ones. If you're looking for something under $15,000 or under $10,000, those cars are in the shortest supply. You're seeing more and more of the new car ads now. Uh, we actually had the Denver Auto Show not too long ago, so that has come back. So it seems like maybe the worst of this computer chip shortage and and the issues that the car makers have had over the past several years since COVID started might be waning. So it, are we are we going to start seeing more and more new cars at the dealer lots and and that issue of not being able to get a car when we want to, especially the new ones? Is that pretty much ending? Yes, that for the most part is over. At one point around this time last year, there were roughly double the number of used cars available across the country as there were new cars. Today, that's about even. I think uh, across the country, there's roughly, um, I think something like 2.1 million, um, 2.1 million used cars and 1.9 million new cars. Something. That, let's just call it even. But it used to be that there was a shortage of new cars, and that's largely gone away. Uh, are there any other those supply chain issues that are lingering in the auto industry? I, I was talking recently of, to somebody who is uh, into the car repair side, and they are mm -hmm. still having problems getting parts uh, that they need to fix these cars. And sometimes the body shops will say, look, it, we, we are going to be backlogged with these parts for like six or eight months. So it's almost better to total the vehicle and then take those parts and put them in other cars rather than try to fix right. this one and, and wait for new parts. Well, there is a domino effect. And what you saw was many automakers stopped making cars for a short period so they can make medical equipment, if you remember that. Right. And then also a lot of them slowed down their production because they were afraid the customers just wouldn't be there um, during the COVID. It wasn't necessarily the COVID 
was the problem. It was the handling of COVID that was the mistake. And so, but people acted the way they acted and they made the choices they made and it's a domino effect. So when you stop something in real life, not virtual online, it has a domino effect. So later you're going to have a shortage of something. And so, yeah, I'm sure they used up all their parts to make the new cars that we now see plenty of. And so that's one more thing that could be lingering. Manufacturing extra parts for cars that need to be repaired versus manufacturing parts for car parts to go into new cars. That's something that each manufacturer and supplier has to deal with. You may be um, waiting for a while if you have a car that needs a major repair. And some of the manufacturers are now are designing parts and having parts that are created for only electric cars. Since GM is just going all electric, there's no need for them to start replacing parts of an engine that they aren't making anymore. Yeah, that's true. That's something that they're going to have to do. But you also, they need to keep making parts long enough to honor the warranties on all that on all those cars like let's don't kid ourselves you can go buy a brand new chevy suburban powered by a gasoline D, a v8 right now so you're gonna have to still whatever the warranty is you still got to make the parts to honor that warranty um you know and those types of cars they're going to be with us for quite some time toyota is famous for selling cars all over the world uh, especially in 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 parts of the uh, parts of the world that uh, uh, don't have charging infrastructure and probably won't for decades to come. Do you think Toyota will be one of those car manufacturers that will always be making ICE cars? You know, it's hard to say when I don't know about always, but I think it is a proven technology. Um, I do think that. Things tend to go in cycles. I think that sometimes we misjudge the future. Uh, just as a simple example, well, why don't we have flying cars yet? The technology is certainly there because that was a thing that was promised in the past for the future that just didn't come to be and probably we might not want it. Um, I think that the advice, if someone were to give you advice and say, you know what you should do, all eggs in one basket, most people would say, I'm not going to do that. That's irresponsible. And I think Toyota sees that too. Toyota has developed excellent hydrogen technology as well as hybrid technology, as well as uh, battery electric vehicle technology. And there's no reason why they wouldn't sell all three of those side by side. Ford does the same thing. You want an electric Mustang? Got it. V8 powered gas Mustang? Done. What about a diesel powered pickup? Done. What about an electric pickup? Done. The more options you give consumers, the more you're going to have to sell. Those companies are there to be profitable, uh, not to just arbitrarily make decisions about guessing what the future is going to be like. You wrote an article uh, for Kelly Blue Book, and you can read it right now on kbb.com, uh, busting, you call it busting the myths and the fears of buying an electric car. And, and some of the fears that we were talking about before starting the show here were, were really about education and, and getting people knowing when to fuel. And I was thinking about, right. as we were just talking about Toyota, when you're looking at, at people in India that are buying Toyota cars, there isn't an electric mm -hmm. infrastructure there to plug in your vehicle like they are pushing here in the United States. And, and, right. and so it, I think different parts of the world are going to see uh, advancements in electric vehicle technology faster than other parts. Yeah, that's true. That's totally true. And, and I think that there are some myths about electric cars, some things that just are proven to not be true. But I also think that there are some legitimate concerns. Um, I think one of those concerns is where do I charge my car up? Mm -hmm. Most people, you had given an example before, and I agree with your example. Most people are looking to eliminate complexity from their lives, not add to it. 
And so 80% right now, electric car owners charge their cars up at home. If that's the kind of person that you are, if you have that ability, great. It's going to be a great experience for you. As a product, as a machine, electric cars are actually quite good. And I think the average person that drove it, um, except for maybe a gearhead or whatever, someone who's super into cars, I think the average person would like it. But just because they would like it doesn't mean that it's ready. It doesn't mean that it's perfect for now. There are some great electric cars. But I don't know if the average person knows that your range is diminished by cold, super cold weather. Yep. I don't know if the average person knows that your charging time is lengthened yep. by um, super cold weather. And also the charging stations that are near where I live, there's no other services around. It's kind of off by itself. Yeah. If you want to sit in the car and run the air conditioner or the heater, well, now it's going to take longer. So there's all these things to consider when you're at the gas station. And hydrogen cars work this way also, by the way. If there's a line of three cars ahead of you, what are you going to do? You're probably going to wait because yep. it's going to take them five minutes at the most to, to gas up their car. If you're at an electric charging station, there's three cars ahead of you, the minimum, that's three times 30 minutes. And now you have to decide. I don't think it's range anxiety people have. I think it's time anxiety people have. The car will go the distance, they say, most of the time. But how much is it going to take you time to charge it back up? Do it at home? Great. Oh, my gosh. Best of best of all possible worlds. That would be great, but I, I, maybe it's a a factor also of thinking differently about how you charge your car. Maybe it is you you're running to the grocery store and they have fifty, and you would need this infrastructure where you'd have yeah. fifty chargers there, and yeah. you could plug in for twenty minutes. That gives you an extra. 15 or 25 mile range. And that gets you to your next destination where again, you park and you go into your home goods store and then you plug in and you right. get some more range. So I, it's almost like you have your, your cell phone. I think people are comfortable with their cell phone. They just throw it on a wireless charger on the little disc there. They get a mm-hmm. little bit of a charge and then they're fine using their phone again for a while. And it, it, it's going up and down instead of, I have to fill it all the way up, drive it all the way down. Like you do now with your gas powered yeah. car. Right. There are, Places that offer convenient charging. Um, my wife and I had a plug-in hybrid for some time, and we charged it up at home every time we had the chance. And we were getting about 80 miles to the gallon. That's pretty good without trying. When I suggested to my wife that she go to the store with our daughter to look for school clothes, and that when she was there, she could try to find a charging station to charge it up. You know what her answer was? No, thanks. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not doing that. Mine because be that's one way. extra. Yeah. It's one extra level of complexity that I don't, I'm not interested in. Yep. I'm just going to go to the store. I want to get in and out mm-hmm. as quick as possible. I don't want to drive around extra looking for something. Right now, we see a lot of electric car owners who are early adopters. Finding a charging station and plugging it in and being different and all that, that's part of the fun. Right. Pretty soon, we're going to have people who aren't early adopters, and they're like, that isn't part of the fun. I just want it to work seamlessly every time without any questions. Yeah. And, and there are people, as I'm speaking to Brian Moody, executive editor for Kelly Blue Book, uh, who live in apartments. Denver is is classic for now building a lot of new condos, apartments in the downtown area. And mm-hmm. it, you can't run an extension cord from your eighth floor window on down to the street to your car if you have one. Right. Right. I'll tell you a, a myth that should be debunked right now. And that is that people who live in apartments wouldn't be able to afford an electric car anyway. That's completely yeah. false. Many cities like Denver, um, I would say Aurora is probably like that. I would say Telluride's probably like that. I would say New York and Los Angeles and DC are like that. People choose to live in apartments uh-huh. because that's how they choose to live. They don't want to mow the grass. They don't. They want someone else to do all that. Right. Well, they have plenty of money. These people, 
and they could afford an electric car, but they don't have an option for charging it up at their facility where they live. That has to be fixed. And it's going to have to be, like you said, it's not going to just be one or two in the mall parking lot. It's going to have to be 50 or so. And it might be have to be as easy as it is, like I mentioned, with my cell phone, where I can just drop it on that wireless charger disc, and then it just starts charging without me getting out and getting the charger and plugging it in and making sure that it's working and the whole yeah. that whole deal, where I could just like drive up into a parking space. It senses that I need some charge. My car will say, "Do you want to start the charging?" Yes, I'll hit a button. I'll get out, and it's charging. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You can time it. You can set that. For people who live in cold places, uh, it gets cold up, and I know up in the mountains in in Colorado, uh, you can actually set the heater to come on and condition the car before you get in. So you're not you're using shore power to heat the car up rather than like unplugging it and then you start driving and run the heater. That's going to reduce your range too. So there are ways that you can make it work for you. Um, I think that for most people, they're okay with that. For some, they're not. Uh, why not hydrogen? I, I talked to somebody a while back about hydrogen and, and what a great technology it is, because like we talked about earlier, you can, just like you do with a gas station, you basically pull up, you fill it up with your hydrogen, and then off you go. Why aren't we seeing the push to make more hydrogen vehicles instead of the battery uh, plug-in uh, uh, powered vehicles? I don't know, because everything that you just said is completely true. Um, those hydrogen cars, they emit nothing but water vapor. Uh, it's quick to fuel up. I've driven hydrogen cars. You can, in California, you can go buy one right now or right. at least lease one. Right. They work perfectly. They are an electric car essentially, but they're yes. electric. The electricity comes from a photo, like a, a chemical electric process right. that produces the, so the answer to your question is I have a feeling that it might be about something more than just making efficient cars. It feels like it's about something different than that. Because there is it feels the blue, like it's more about it, it, there's blue and green hydrogens. One is is coming yeah. from the earth. The other, you actually have to use electricity right. to create hydrogen that then is being turned back into electricity when it's in the vehicle. Right, but you have to create something to create the electricity that, that you charge electric cars up right. with too. Whether it's a whether it's a, a a fuel of some kind fired plant, whether it's the land that you tore up to put the solar panels in, or the animals. I don't imagine that the animals in a certain patch of land are would say, "Oh, we don't want any oil pipelines here." But well, as long as it's as long as you're going to crush my family for a solar panel, that's okay. Go ahead and do that. So all those th- it's it's always going to cause harm. The hydrogen power cars are no different. Of course, it's going to cause some harm. Electric cars are going to cause some harm. I don't know why the hydrogen powered cars aren't more top of mind for the conversation. The same thing with hy- hybrids. It's possible to get the hy- the hybrid I talked about before. It was a Volvo hybrid. My wife and I had for about three months, and we were getting eighty miles per gallon. We weren't trying. Yeah, we were just driving it like a normal car. You part of it's electricity, and if you go farther than that, the gas engine comes on. Yeah. Most of the time around town, dropping off kids at school, going to the grocery store, that's all electricity. The fact that those aren't part of the greater conversation again makes me think like it's more. It's about something else. It's not just about clean air. Well, and you could add uh, the windmills killing birds to your list of, you know, killing yes. animals, right? Yes, those things. And and where do we get the, you know, where do we get the chemicals and the ore and, you know, right. where do we get the... So I think one thing that's good is that, you know, politics aside, I think the 
designation or the requirement that electric cars have their battery and their element sourced here in the U.S. as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, I think that's actually a good thing. I think that's going to help make sure that the supply chain is not interrupted. I think that the people that put that into um, law are in, well, in, uh, well-meaning. I think that they want what's best. If it can be done in practice, I don't know, but I think at least it's a good start to say, hey, let's have Americans benefit from this change to electricity and not just other places in the world. Yeah. And it seems to me that the hydrogen model is is more suited for long haul truckers than yeah. it is for uh, the battery plug in model, because you need to have that power, the range, and you get it all with hydrogen right now more than than with the batteries. Yeah, that's that's totally true. Um, and like you said, I think that when you think about trucking and when you think about transporting goods and services across the country, um, the what's the best way to say it? The most efficient use of your time in refueling is an important part of the overall cost of goods and services. Right. If a driver has to sit someplace for an hour or two or three to charge up twice in a trip, that's adding cost to the goods he's transporting. If it takes him five minutes or 30 minutes, you know, half that number of times, then you don't have to add that cost to the goods and services that we're ultimately going to buy at the store. That's why the Hyperloop was such a great idea to move goods and services more though more so than people across yeah. the country. Getting stuff from uh, Chicago to St. Louis and to Atlanta is way more efficient with a Hyperloop system than it is driving by a truck. Right. And I think there's a lot of applications where electric trucks and electric service vehicles make total sense. Think about um, uh, parking meters and how you have to drive around and check those. Should that car be electric? Probably. Um, the same with uh, airport shuttles that could run on a loop, just go back and forth transporting passengers. Do we need to have an eight-cylinder diesel engine idling at the airport waiting for passengers? No. I mean, that's a perfect example of something that should be electric. Driving people back and forth from the airport gate to the parking lot all day, every day, that should be an electric vehicle. That totally makes sense. Same with in-city deliveries, urban deliveries. Electric pickup, perfect. And it could even be an autonomous electric vehicle if it's just making the same route every yes. time where it's not going to deviate from maybe even one dedicated lane. Well, I think the idea of self-driving cars is kind of like flying cars. It's like it's 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 a promise that I don't think is really going to come true. But on a pre-planned route, um, I don't know if you're familiar, like, you know, some cities, Memphis has this, San Francisco has this. They have like a trolley system yeah. or they have these muni buses. They go on a set route. Well, that's the perfect example of how an autonomous or an automated uh, shuttle service could work. The idea of you buy a car and it just drives you to your destination, full stop, all by itself, I, I think we're far from that. But we can get close. General Motors has this thing called Super Cruise yep. on the freeway, hands off, the car drives itself, even change lanes. That's, that's where we are now, and I think we're going to be there for a long time. But I also don't think autonomous is the right word. I prefer to use the word automated. To me, autonomous is when you punch in the coordinates and say, hey, I need to go to work. And the car says, ah, I don't know, I'd rather go to the river today. And that's, that's autonomous. <laughs> right. that's a, it's got a mind of its own. I don't really feel like going to work today. I think we're going to go to the river and hang out. So, so skiing, I'm going to go up to the mountains. 
But an automated car is what you see in some of the GM things. Some of the steps are automated. Uh, Ford has the same thing and you know, other brands have the same thing. Instead of living in a van down by the river, the river, the van is living already by itself down by the river. It's just going to go down there. Yeah. That <laughs> complete autonomy is, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Farley would, would, uh, would love that. Uh, <laughs> as we're talking about, as I'm talking with uh, Brian Moody, the executive editor for Kelly Blue Book, uh, do you think that General Motors maybe went all in too fast, too hard on going all electric and, and didn't decide to uh, to wean off of the ICE vehicles or hybrid vehicles and just go, we're going electric and that's the way it is and we're going to plow forward. Well, they are waning because there's no reason why they couldn't stop selling Suburbans and Tahoes tomorrow if they wanted to. They could just stop. But they're starting, they're only making now electric cars as they move forward. Right. They said that their intent is to do that. That's a word choice. Yeah. If I said to you, well, I intend to pay you back that $500 I owe you, yes. <laughs> you would go, well, what, what do you mean you intend to do it? Intend means that's what their goal is. Yeah. Sometimes goals are met and sometimes they're not. Um, you know, they just introduced a Corvette with a new V8 engine and a hybrid powertrain. Yeah. Okay. That's something to consider. Uh, their Suburbans, Tahoes, and trucks have V8 powered engines. I, I, I would assume those will be around for quite some time. So they're weaning themselves, which is fine. They're, they have they have every right to do that. They don't want to be irresponsible. They want to do it in a responsible way, which is perfectly fine. But they're not going to switch to electric cars tomorrow. They're going to gradually get there. So, so are these goals that the politicians are putting out there in the next ten to fifteen to twenty years to have all electric cars through you know only sold in their states? I, I, I know California is is classic for that. Are are those goals too lofty or 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 too rigid? I think different people will be in power when that happens. And I think that those promises are often um, short-sighted and probably too ambitious. But uh, let me let me come back in 20 years and see what happens because I could be wrong, but I think of this as an example. In, in, in 1976, Cadillac, the CEO of Cadillac said, we're no longer making convertibles. The convertible car has gone the way of the running board and the rumble seat. They're just not relevant to today's society. Sound familiar? Yeah. That was in 1976. Guess how many years they had before there was another GM convertible being sold? About five. Yep. About five. Uh, I think in by 2006 or something, there was something like 200,000 convertibles sold in the U.S. So promises are often you know, good for making people feel good. But when you actually, the rubber meets the road, I think a mix is important. A lot of people can make an electric car work, and it's going to be great for them. Some people can't. Going back to your article about busting the myths and fears of buying an electric car, you talked about that the cars are, are looking futuristic, but they also act just like your regular car. Why do they make them look so futuristic? Is there a reason they can't just look like a regular uh, a, I mean, like a regular Chevy that I that I could buy right now, you know? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. The one is that most cars today have, remember, okay, remember back in the time when, when it was like, oh my gosh, this car has cooled seats? Yeah. Wow. What a revelation. This car has adaptive cruise control that can monitor the speed of the car. Okay. That was cool. Today, you can get all those features on a Kia. Or a Toyota. It's not uh, features alone is not enough. Or a BMW with a subscription. <laughs> or a BMW with a subscription. Exactly right. 
Now, the thing they have to trade on is compelling design or interesting styling. Um, if you look at an electric car maker like Polestar, for example, they have very compelling looking cars. They don't look exactly like something else. Uh, the same with Kia. Kia has this car called an EV6, probably the first electric car that actually looks like it's from the future. So there's that reason, but there's also the reason of aerodynamics. The aerodynamics make the car slip through the air more easily, which makes the electric motors and the battery more efficient. And it's all about range. You want to be able to go farther right. than the other guy's car. But some of that lighting in there is is almost too much. It's like I'm walking into Futureland at Disney World, where, where it's just all this neon type yeah. lighting and, and uh, it's blue hues and the purples. And it's just a little bit too much. You can turn that off most of the time. Um, but one reason that you're seeing that is that electric cars are very expensive. The average price of an electric car right now is about $60,000. Yeah. And so for the average person, that's that's a lot of money. But what they do is to make you feel like you're getting something worthwhile, they add stuff. We want to have these Napa leather seats. We want to have this big sunroof in there. We want to have ambient lighting and a high-end stereo and all these things that if you if you were to purchase a car for the average person that that was $60,000 and it looked like a run of the mill car from 10 years ago and didn't have anything nice inside, most people would say, I don't know. So, wow, it's been $60,000 on this. They're spending 60,000, 50,000, 70,000, whatever it is. And they like the idea that like, it's got some bells and whistles. I'll give you a perfect example that doesn't cost any extra money, doesn't cost any extra weight in Kia vehicles. And I think in some Genesis vehicles too, they have this, parking monitor camera. It's hard to explain, but it looks like there's a drone hovering right off the side of your car. It shows the entire side of your car. It's really compelling. It's cool. If you're the kind of person that likes electric cars, you're going to look at that and go, oh my gosh, this is cool. And you're going to want to show all your buddies. Yeah. So how much is that worth? Right. 3000 I don't know. I mean, if you had two cars that were identical and one had a luxury badge and one didn't, some people will pay more for the one with the luxury badge. I sure. won't, but some people would pay. I asked I asked people this. One guy said he'd be willing to pay $10,000 more for a luxury branded car if he knew the performance and features were identical. You know, if I can go to the grocery store and I can look at the Rice Krispies, the, the real one from Kellogg, or I can get the one from uh, Kroger and it just says crispy rice, uh, <laughs> the price is so, so much less expensive, but it's the same thing. It's not like Kroger is making the cereal now. They're just <laughs> having somebody they else. They bought it from someone. Of course yeah, they yeah, did. Yeah. Well, why can't I do that with a BMW or a Lexus? Why can't I? Well, I guess Lexus is Toyota, uh, but why can't I you know, do that with, with a, just yeah. keep the logo off or the emblem off of your vehicle and I'll buy it for ten or 15000 less? You could. Uh, I think what you're looking for is probably called a used car. Yeah. Because <laughs> then you don't have the bragging rights of, yeah, I got this brand new Audi. Uh, you just but go buy an a used Audi. Car. I just don't want the Audi logo on there. I don't want those four circles on there. I just want to to be like generic Audi, like generic beer, you know? Yes, but they still had to pay for the research and development yeah, costs yeah. for it to drive the way that another Audi does. You could maybe save a couple hundred bucks if they just said, hey, we're going to have this separate line with no marketing dollars spent on it. But I don't think they'd make a lot of money. 
Uh, in the final minutes here with my guest, Brian Moody, executive editor, Kelly Blue Book, uh, I want to mention, I want to ask you about, uh, we've heard a lot about AM radios. Uh, I am uh, at heart an AM radio guy because I grew up listening to AM radio when I was a kid, and that's why I wanted to get into radio broadcasting that eventually led into the TV thing. But I am still an AM radio guy at heart, still listening at night to AM radio where I can listen to stations from around the country uh, from from inside my house. It really is remarkable. You could hear them from mm-hmm. hundreds of miles away. Mm-hmm. You, I'm sure, have heard that some of the car makers are saying, well, it's tough. We're not going to put AM radios in the cars anymore because there's an interference issue. I've never had an interference issue with my AM radio in my electric car. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. I think that they probably have pulled their buyers and a lot of buyers of newer cars have said, I don't really listen to that. I mean, automakers have to go where the numbers are. So if they pull 2000 people and 1500 say, I don't really care about that, then they're going to look for a way to save money. It, It may not be a moving piece, but it definitely is a component that has to go into the car that could save you a little bit of money on a per car basis that may end up um, raising profits in the end. Every little dime they spend is yes. is calculated. But they're still putting in a radio that can receive FM signals, that can get the XM radio, the satellite radio. Right. It does, so, so, the, so the radio is in place. It's really about the, re- the, uh, uh, the receiving function of the radio for yes. the AM band and the antenna because the antenna is different in AM than it is for FM. So it seems like they, they're just not willing to play ball. But there was also a conspiracy theory that mm-hmm. most AM radio stations is where you hear, hear conservative talk radio. And there are people on that the, the left side of the aisle who don't like it and therefore would want to eliminate it because if you can't hear it in your car, then you can't hear it at all and it's going to go die. Uh, have you ever dealt with an automaker? No, not, not, personally. I, I, I don't believe they have the wherewithal to, to, to wield that kind of, uh, ideological, uh, you can't, this is, it's I don't, I don't think that's out there. <laughs> I don't think it's possible. This is what it reminds me of in, I think in the eighties, uh, Bob Lutz was the CEO of some company. I, I forget what the car was. It might've been a Chrysler. And in this car, it was a sporty coupe. The rear seats had adjustable headrests. Well, somehow people figured out that they could save something like $1.50 per car by making those headrests fixed and not adjustable. Okay, so it still had a rear seat. It still had rear seat headrests. It still had all the components that would go into that. They just took out the little mechanism that made it go up and down. They took it out, saved $1.50 per car, and guess how many complaints they got? Not one. No one even noticed. I think AM radio is a little bit different, though, when you're driving around, and, and you, at least for some people, I wouldn't buy a car without an AM radio in it. You know what will help them figure this out is for people who listen to AM radio, don't buy the car that doesn't have one. <laughs> yeah, right. If that I happens think, yeah. in big enough numbers, then they're going to go, gosh, I wonder what's happening to our sales. They'll poll their customers. They'll find out, hey, why did you switch from a brand A to brand Z. Well, they didn't have an AM radio, so I didn't. I didn't buy it. And we one thing we do know from surveys. Uh, this is from Kelly Blue Books uh, a while ago. Younger buyers, uh, millennials, and I think Gen Z, they said that they're willing to switch brands 
if the car doesn't have the technology they're looking for. So if it doesn't have Apple CarPlay, it doesn't have a certain feature that they're looking for, they don't care about the brand. They're just going to switch no matter what. And so this might be the kind of thing where it would lead them to say reinstall something. That's not unheard of, reinstalling a feature that was discontinued because it was popular. Or you can, I guess, get an aftermarket thing. There are the car toys out there that can probably fix you up if you needed that radio and you were just in love with a certain type of car. Yeah, I find it hard to believe that the average automaker would have the streamlined process to to wield an ideological <laughs> thing onto each car. It just doesn't seem possible because sometimes when you ask a question of a person whose job it is to do that, they're like, oh, I'm going to have to go check. I'm not sure. Well, I just don't feel like those mechanisms, those companies are so big. I just don't see it being, you know, okay, okay. so could a Tesla do that? Yeah, probably, because they're smaller and leaner. Right. But for the rest of them, I just don't see it. Or a Rivian, something like that. Something like that, yes. Yeah. Do you see Rivian, as I as we wrap up here, do you see Rivian six being successful or gobbled up by Ford or some other big automaker? I think the technology works. So I think it's equally likely both. I think that they've shown that there's a desire for the cars. They're good cars. Uh, the interiors are quite nice. They yeah. look different. Um, but as we've seen, it takes a, a Herculean effort to get an all-new brand off the ground and move into those top spots. Uh, I think it's possible another automaker could say, hey, let's take your technology or let's brand your cars. The way we're seeing GM do GM do with GMC and Hummer, they didn't spin Hummer back up. They said, let's put it as a sub-brand underneath GMC. I could see something like that happening, but I could also see Rivian just being um, – popular enough that people are like, hey, I got to have this electric SUV and I could see them rising to the occasion and selling hundreds of thousands of cars per year. Yeah. I've seen a few around here and yeah, they are really cool. I just concerned about the people that own them now that they're going to be uh, looking for parts in the next 10 years and not be able to find <laughs> any. <laughs> All right. Bob Moody, executive editor for Kelly Blue Book. Uh, thanks so much for your time, your expertise. I had a great time and a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. Now, just after my interview with Brian, I see this news release from Ford saying that they reversed the decision to build new vehicles without AM radios After they had some pressure from lawmakers, there was actually quite a push by AM radio stations, including 850 KOA Radio here in Denver that uh, I still listen to. And uh, they were really, some of their talk show hosts were really pushing uh, people to call or to text a number. And when they do that, they would get a text back saying, hey, this is how you can contact your state legislator. Uh, or, you know, your U.S. uh, senator or congressperson, and tell them that you want to have AM radio still in cars and they should draft some kind of a legislation uh, and and do that. Well, the Ford CEO said that his decision came after speaking with some policy leaders about the importance of AM radio broadcast as part of the emergency alert system. That is the system, those horrible tones that you hear, uh, you know, that kind of thing, where you'll hear an amber alert or a special weather alert, something like that. It's actually an automated system, and KOA had the uh, had the box. And what it does is then it sends the signal. So the National Weather Service, let's say, for a tornado warning, would send the signal to the box. The box can take over uh, and broadcast the signal over the radio station. Well, and it also broadcasts over other radio stations, and so it's a way for people uh, to be able to hear, hey, there's some big-time something bad right now is happening in your your world, and you need to know about it. Uh, and so that's what the emergency alert system is. Now, recently, 
uh, House representatives in, in, introduced a bill calling for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to require AM radios be installed in new vehicles at no extra cost. And I really don't think it's that the the, the radio isn't in there. It's that the, either they have software to turn it on and off or they don't have the right um, antenna. A- AM antennas are different than FM antennas. So one is frequency modulation, one is amplitude modulation. We won't go into that whole thing. But the, the way you get good FM signal is by, like, you know, a wire, and it's that antenna that you used to see in the old cars that would come up, and it's just that long wire. That's that's how you get a good FM signal. Well, the AM signal is different. It's uh, actually this bar, this, like, magnet that's wired, uh, wrapped with uh, um, uh, some uh, copper wire. Anyway, and so you turn it sideways. You actually can get better signal uh, turning a radio, like a handheld radio, uh, to a certain sideways direction, and then you get better signals. Anyway, the bill is called the AM for Every Vehicle Act, and they argue that AM radio has historically helped transmit crucial information during emergencies, particularly to rural areas where you might not have an, an FM signal. That signal doesn't go as far for FM, usually about 70 to 80 miles. AM signals, especially at night, can go hundreds and hundreds of miles. From Denver, I can listen to KNX radio a lot of Los Angeles. And 850 KOA radio, when I was uh, doing this Broncos trip, this was like for the, uh, the Miami Super Bowl, John Elway's last game uh, against the Falcons. I was in Mississippi at the Mississippi River, and I could pick up the radio station as if I was sitting in my house. Uh, so, it, so the AM signal, especially at night, because the way the signal bounces off the atmosphere, it uh, can travel a long distance. So when you're out there, you can still pick up an AM radio. Now, Ford is not the only automaker saying they were going to eliminate AM radios in new cars. Teslas, BMW, Volkswagen, Mazda, they were all going to take AM radios out of their new electric cars, saying that it was the electric engines or motors that uh, interfere with the AM signal. Well, I, I have an electric car. I've had an electric car for the last, what, 11 years, and it, it the AM signal works just great. Uh, and so I think that's bogus. Uh, <laughs> I was talking about, uh, talking to, um, uh, talking to Brian about anyway, the company say now that electric engines, they're interfering with the sound of the AM radio station. Uh, and there's a lot of smart people, I think that are designing and engineering all of these cars. And I'm sure if it was a real reception issue, they could probably figure that out. The Alliance for Automotive Innovation It's a trade group that represents major automakers. They criticize the legislation, saying that AM radio's mandate, the AM radio mandate, is unnecessary. We don't need it in there. Oh, really? Why don't you want it in there? Why don't you want an AM radio in there? It doesn't cost you anything extra. It's it's the it's already part of the FM. If you put an FM radio, then put in uh, then it's already there. So it's not like added extra weight. It's not added extra space in the dashboard. I mean, seriously, just put it in, how much money would you quote unquote be saving? According to Nielsen data, more than 80 million people in the United States still listen to AM radio monthly. And one of those people right here is me. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so that's that. Uh, Thanks again for being here. Thanks for uh, listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Lipper, the traffic guy. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring.